Well, good morning, Community Church. How many of us can say amen to that? Our praise is way more than a song, right? We are starting today with praise and worship because it goes much deeper. It shifts our situations. It shifts our environments. Praise is one of the keys. So as we go back into worship in just a minute, let's shift our hearts to a heart of praise today, realizing we're not just singing songs this morning. We're in the middle of a battle. Maybe over our own lives, maybe over the the lives of others in this community. Today, we are going to honor our God who can shift and change all of those things just like that. Can we say amen? Amen. Well, I want to welcome all the visitors today. I've got to meet some of you already, but I know there's others here, and we just want to welcome you to Community Church. Our heart's desire for you today is that you would connect with people, but most of all, that you would connect with God in a new way and in a fresh way. So we just pray that as you're with us today, that you will meet our Savior. Father, right now, as we go back into worship, it's not just me, it's all of us. Right now, here in this moment, we are saying, Jesus, come into this place. Jesus, have your way. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Jesus, I invite you into this room. Jesus, I choose to push aside everything else, and I choose to say right now, you are king, and I choose to worship you. Let's worship our king. All morning I've had this, this imagery, which I'm going to share a bit about later, but, but, you know, there's a time in your Christian life when you come to an event like this, like a morning and a worship, and you worship and you get something. And that's what makes your worship valid to you. I mean, I, mean, I know we know that God deserves it, but really the coup de gras, like the, the thing that really brings us over the top is that we get a, a moment where we feel God's presence, which made the worship legitimate. You hear what I'm saying? And so we worship, we lean in until that happens. What if, what if God was saying, listen, you know how to do that now, that's great. How about doing it for others? I, I, I keep getting this picture of a well, you know, somewhere, water's being, being brought out of a water source through pumps, and those pumps are working. They feel the water. They don't stop as soon as they feel the water because they understand that their job is to get that water to the city. So they don't stop. They're not satisfied. Oh, whoa, I'm, I'm totally wet now. <laughs> no, no, no. Their job is to push that water through until the people on the other end of the delivery system are satisfied. What if God wants to make you a cog in the wheel for a delivery system that's far beyond you? This, uh, God is stretching your capacity beyond, oh, I'm wet, I'm satisfied, I've arrived, it's done, let's go on to the next thing. He's saying, you are a transition point for a delivery system of life that one day will fill the whole of creation. But in the meantime, I'm not giving you the whole earth to fill, I'm giving you a part of Spruce Grove. Maybe a little bit of the West End. What is your capacity to continue to worship beyond your level of personal satiation? Let's lean. Let's go past what I need. Let's do it for the city.
When the Bible says that God is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth, it's not to satisfy the needs of an overgrown ego. There's function in worship. There are elements to worship that advance the kingdom in ways we're just beginning to understand. And uh, my heart is, oh God, teach us. Teach us, shift our priorities out of what we understand, what we get out of it, what we, what we know to be true and is true to the next, the next tier of revelation. Proverbs had a vision here. I want you to hear this. As we were singing the last song, I saw in the spirit what we were doing. And the picture was, as soon as, as, soon as you said to picture Jesus on the throne... I pictured him on the throne, and he was wearing this white robe, but along the sides of the white robe were all these little gold balls. And these gold balls started to fall down from the throne, and it was like they were coming to the earth. I knew they were coming to the earth, and these balls started to hit people on the head, and it was his glory. And as they started to hit individuals on the head, I saw these balls get larger and larger, and they started to hit regions and regions across the earth. And I feel like God is saying, this is what we do. I want to encourage you, church, that this is what we do. It's not for us. It's for them. Yes, hallelujah. I mean, I felt that was a clear picture of what God does. But on another level, it, it answers something. Some of you who've been with me a long time, you, you may remember an article I wrote 10 years ago plus called uh, Heaven's Golden Orbs or something like that. And what happened was I was in Central America. I'm in the middle of a conference. I'm speaking. And as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm talking. I'm not talking, talking. But a door opens behind me. I feel the beauty of God coming through that gate. And then this, this golden ball of glory rolls out of that door. And I watch it roll across the floor and, and out, and uh, for the next few weeks, the Lord began to unpack for me dynamics around how things make it their way from heaven to the earth and the place of worship, but then how we, how we treat those things and how we make those things the centerpiece. We are not a church that's following after the golden orbs, but we are a church that opens the gate for them to enter into the realm of the earth. And uh, so, Father, I pray this morning, Father, that we would be satisfied, that we would be com- feel completed by the role that we have in pleasing your heart and worship so that you can do what you want to do on the earth. We just want to say right now, Father, we confess that we know so little about worship. 
We know so little about the functional need that you have for worshipers. We have little understanding of what it is your eyes are looking for and longing for when you, when you comb the earth for one whose heart is complete. But Lord, we say we want to satisfy that need. Just say that right now. God, make me a part of this enterprise, God, of bringing heaven to earth. What should we talk about today? Let's talk about the kingdom. Let's talk about our role in bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. You know, you may not realize this, but but uh, not all worship services are the same. I remember years ago we were we were here and we had uh, David Demian in and some of the Watchmen team from all around the earth and uh, and uh, we had a pretty rambunctious, loud time of worship, and it was great. Uh, but at the end, I was with David, and he leans over to me and says, uh, Mark, you know that wasn't very deep, right? <laughs> and, and, and I knew it. I knew it, but uh, uh, I was a little disappointed because it was... It was a good moment, regardless that it wasn't deep. Listen, there's, there's moments that are deep, there's moments that are high, and there's moments that are wide. The churches that attract the most people are the churches that do wide worship, right? Because it actually takes a different capacity to do deep or to do high. I mean, that, that's a reality. Now, wide, when I say wide, I'm talking about rich. And you know what? We actually should be able to do it all. Because the truth is, uh, we need, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, at your house, if you're, you have a family, if you have kids, you, uh, you don't do everything for the adults. Sometimes you just do things for the kids, even if it's not your preference. Because the kids need it. Right? I mean, how many of the things you do around Christmas are for the adults? Right? It's largely for the kids. So when it comes to the family of God, we have a responsibility to do the whole thing. Now, my, my pull, my default is deep and high. I mean, I love that. I love when we go in to the apostolic governmental realm and worship and I mean, I begin to see the entourage of, of heaven being released to come to the earth. And I, I feel like there's times coming when we will go for hours because we will be so aware that our, our worship, our praise is actually fueling the advance of angelic hosts. I mean, we know this biblically that there are we, we know this happens, right? It's, it's, this was the reason when Israel had success in military battles, it's because the Lord went ahead of them. Now, 
sometimes the Lord just did that. But if you look carefully over the history of Scripture, God is looking for people to engage with him in what he's doing and not just to be clueless. Right? Jehoshaphat, in obedience to the prophet, I don't think he necessarily understood what was going to happen, but he sends the worshipers out. I imagine the war council was a little mystified by that uh, strategy. Right? But they send the worshipers out, and God releases ambushments. Right? What are those? It's angelic movement, armies of heaven being released. When David hears the sound of moving, marching, a going, as the King James said, in the mulberry bushes above his head, that was his sign to attack. Why? Let my armies go first. So if all we understand is what's happening in this room, the songs we sing, the text that's in the songs, and, you know, whether it's my favorite, you know, melody, whether this team is singing it, correctly or with enough enthusiasm if that's the only realm that we are interacting with we're missing almost everything that's going on but you know it that's what that's what growing spiritually is about getting to the place where your senses are exercised to discern good and evil or just the realm of the spirit so that you know what's happening when something's happening so last week it was interesting and I'm not this is not what I'm preaching about I'm just talking. But last week uh we had some guest ministry here. They were great. I loved them. How many of you like like the domains? Yeah, right. I mean uh Gideon used to call it his chinglish when he talked English because of his Chinese and everything, but but uh Joel talked about I guess his fringlish. But uh, I thought he did exceptionally well. I thought he got made his points really well. And if not, his enthusiasm made up the difference. <laughs> you can know, trust the French. Uh, so love that. But I was really interested in, in, uh, in Hannah's response. Like afterwards, we talked a bit. And she talked about the presence of God here in this room. She talked about the intensity and the, 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 the manifestation of the presence. Let me, let me tell you something. I was not as thrilled as she was. And I was trying to figure out why that was. And, uh, and it has to do with, with the thresholds of responsibility that you have. And, I, and I, w- I want to give this picture because if you have a well of water right? And you're pumping water out of that and spilling it on the ground in order to irrigate the ground. If your garden that you're wanting to irrigate is right at the mouth of that well, you'll be satisfied before long. All right. And, you know, and that's great. You'll have all you need within just a few minutes. But as that water's running to the ground, it's starting to make its way further than the immediate vicinity right around the mouth of that well. We are called, if you, re- if you remember some of the prophetic words, to, to be a part of a, an apostolic jurisdiction, Bob Jones talked about, that was 150 miles in every direction. Okay, now, it's, it's not like God says, hey, I'm going to give you authority, rule over this, and then you don't have to do it. You actually have to do it. 
If God is giving you a metron of authority over something, you have to do what's necessary for that whole region, not just for the capital. Right? And this is the constant challenge of epicenters of power politically. You know, and this is why man-made systems for governance have to take into account regions beyond the capital because, you know, not only Mockingjay movies, but, but in real life, the concentration of power to satiate the appetites of just the few that are nearest to the capital is a constant issue. And so God is saying, no, I want to fill the whole earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, not just your little corner of the, of the, of the ground. And so when I give you a responsibility for a region, you have to irrigate that region. And I'm using the imagery of irrigation as a, as a metaphor for ruling. Because ultimately when God's giving you authority, he's not giving you authority, he's giving you responsibility. And when you exercise that responsibility faithfully, authority comes out of that. The, the, those, that those that are under, the, you know, they're receiving the, uh, the benefits of you taking responsibility begin to yield to you authority. They begin to see you as an authoritative figure. So authority, if you ever get a word, oh, you're going to do this and you're going to have great influence, get ready for an increased sense of responsibility. And so last week when we're worshiping, and, you know, because they're not a part of this apostolic structure and what I feel is the sense of responsibility that this house has for a region, they didn't need to consider three miles down the road or ten miles down the road. But as they're enjoying the, the water, and I'm glad they are, and it, I'm sitting there, I'm struggling because I'm feeling the thirst of the land miles away. And so there, I'm feeling the tension of that need and the tension of the limitations of our capacity in the room. And that's a, that's a constant thing because it's not, it's not me that's doing this, it's us. I mean, we have to realize the nature of apostolic authority. I'm not going to get into it today, but there's a passage in Corinthians, and Paul is talking about the Corinthian church, and this is what he says. He says, I have been greatly enlarged by, in my sphere by the increase of your faith. You mean, you mean Paul, your, your, your capacity to do what you do apostolically isn't because of a resident anointing in you and you alone? No, the increase, Corinthian church, because you have grown in faith, I've been able to go further. And this is, this is the principle behind these things. And so God is not just looking for reach. He's looking for sustained reach. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we talked recently about the power grid and needing to have stable supplies of power. Our, pre- our premier was just talking about it because some of the initiatives being suggested are going to create an instability in our grid that will not only cause us to have soaring prices, but brownouts. And so we need, but, but this is the thing. God is looking for a stable grid. Spiritually, for the delivery of kingdom life. Of the water of his presence. And the truth is, some can get it and some can't. 
Some are not at that place where they can provide their own, you know, they, I, they, they don't even understand why, you know, one day they go and they worship God and they have a great day. The next day they're the same person. It's like, I have a terrible day. Well, somehow your vows got shut off. And you don't know how to turn them back on. So <clears throat> you're looking some, for somebody to pray for you, lay hands on you, give you a prophetic word or a church service that will turn those things back on. Right? And if you're at that stage in your spiritual life, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. But realize, those of us that are moving on, that there's a point where God says, no, no, no. We're not just satisfying your need. We're satisfying the need of others beyond you, and now you're a part of the delivery system. Isn't that great? To be responsible? You know what that means? Like, sometimes you got to do things when you don't feel like it. You got to do things when, when there's no personal gain for you. Wow. Wow, maturity and everything. You are so demanding. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, a couple of images came up this morning in prayer, and I'm going to work my way towards some of what I want to say, and it tie, does tie into this. But the first thing I had when I was in the prayer meeting this morning is I had this sense of what I call working prayer, working prayer. I'm praying in tongues, as I often do, but I feel like it is, it's not, you know, when the, when the disciples came down from the upper room and they're out in the street, it says that they heard them praying and they heard them praying in their own languages and they were exalting the praises of God. So there, there are times when you pray in tongues and they, they didn't even know what they were doing. They're just doing it. You know, it was overflow of joy. And, uh, but they were praising God. But do you know that you do more than praising God when you're praying in tongues? Yeah, you know, it says in 2 Corinthians 14, or maybe 1 Corinthians 14, that he that prays in an unknown tongue uh, prays the mysteries of God. That means the hidden secrets, the hidden strategies, the hidden intentions. The Lord told me many years ago that when you prayed in tongues, you're actually praying your, the future events that you have not lived. You're crying out to me for things that your spirit knows you need, I know you need, but you don't know you need. The other day I heard Lance Walnow talking about this and he was getting into some trouble and he's asking the Lord, Lord, why do I always get into these, these trouble? Why do I land in these hornet's nests? He said, because every time you pray in tongues, you ask for them. <laughs> so this morning I felt like there was, there was working prayer. that We were working toward an end. So when you, it's like, I, I, I call it a burden because you feel like you have this tension and, and something is not unlocked. So you're, you're, you're pushing to get that unlocked. And the truth is something is being done that you don't know about. But the beauty is when you know the impulse of life flowing through your spirit, you don't need to know. You just need to know that it's, it's functional because it has that divine urgency to it. This is what Jesus had. When, when the woman touched him with the hem of his garment, he felt power released for him. He didn't have to know what was done to know something was done. 
Now, of course, and he asked the question to figure out who did me. Somebody tapped into my power grid, pulled something from me, but I know the release of power. On this sense, the legitimacy of all prayer and worship is being established. Now, that's really important. I'm gonna I'm gonna delve into that right now because I believe that we are up against the spirit that's trying to discourage us around spiritual disciplines, suggests that those things are meaningless and mocking us to some degree if we're doing them. I remember a couple of years ago, and I'm dancing around a bit, I'm, so forgive me if this is, is not as clear as it should be, but there was a Christian musician, uh, comedian, he was doing a thing on worship styles, and he was kind of making fun of different people's worship. I didn't like it, because to me, it represents that mocking spirit that we're already up against. That's, and, and basically, the underlying mock, the, the, the ridicule that's in it, it's saying, you know, if you think something's actually happening because of what you do, you're deluded, and so he was, he was saying, you know, people that they're like this, you know, and he was ridiculing all the facial expressions. And maybe on one level, it's kind of funny, except, except for the fact that we're fighting a spiritual war where there's a spirit of Sanballat and Tobiah always mocking our work and trying to make it illegitimate. And I don't need Christians piling on top of that to intimidate us from doing what we know to do. Of numbers of years ago, I talked about this, and, and I talked about it from the sense of some people think we're up here miming. When we're worshiping and praying, because they don't see what's happening in the spirit, they think we're miming. You know what miming is? That's where you, you pretend there's a wall there, or you're in a box or whatever, and your facial expressions and your body language is, is acting out as though you're interacting with something there, but it's invisible. And the difficulty is, for some people, everything we do is just miming. And so they just can't be as invested in miming as we are because it's kind of humiliating to do something that's not real in front of people. Except that when I'm praying and I'm going like this, I'm I'm not beating the air. I'm actually, there's something happening that's real. How do you know it's real? The same way Jesus knew that power went out from him. So the journey for us is how many people can we get in that, that side of the equation that know this is real and we're not just, you know, oh, I guess that's how you worship. I don't want anybody to imitate expressions of intensity without realizing that intensity is for a purpose and it's because you're up against something. I mean, I I literally feel the resistance in the spirit. And so anything you do with all your heart is going to show on your face. Anything you do with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul, it's going to show on your face. If you're embarrassed about showing expression on your face, because... It's because at, at the root level, you don't, you're not sure if it's real. You're not really sure that you're engaging with something. I could take 
all of you in this room out, and I could say, okay, we're going to take hammers, and we're going to drive some spikes into this piece of wood. Now, And I say, I want you to hit that as hard as you can. No, harder. Because, you know, you, some people just can't do that. There's, like, like now maybe it's a skill level, but, but to get somebody to do it, with, they're going to, they're going to, Instinctively, you just, you grit your teeth, you, right? Because you're throwing yourself into it. If worship is real, we should be throwing ourselves into it. I mean, that, that if, if, if something is really happened, but that's the thing. Not everybody believes that something is really happening. For, for mo- a lot of churches, that's, that's why when you, the, the liturgical church out there, they just think this is liturgy, which is, it's a ceremony representing something that's happened a, a long time ago or a lot in the future, just not now. And so they don't understand us believing something is actually happening now. Because for them, there's just the room. Now, I should give you a scripture. <laughs> well, I already gave you some scriptures, but I am coming to some other ones, just so you know. But as I was praying, I began to get a sense of God's power delivery system. The kingdom of God is being brought to the earth. And it is mystical, it is... It is uh, opaque. It's it's hard to see. And Jesus said it this way: You you know the wind blows where it wills, and you can hear the sound of it, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it goes. What, what I mean, He says, "So is everyone who's born of the Spirit." It means this: the people who are born of the Spirit are connected with a force that is not visible to the naked eye, but like the branches that move when the wind blows, the branches are the evidence of wind blowing. So you don't have to be outside to know if the wind's blowing. You just look out. How many of you looked out of your kitchen windows like, oh, it's really windy out here. Well, how do you know? You haven't been outside because the branches are moving. We are the branches. We are the ones that move by the wind of the Spirit. Others don't even know there is wind. And so if you're insecure about that, then you have to validate your moving for the sake of others who don't know. Jesus was not so bothered because he was convinced. And there's a beautiful thing. Some of us here in this room are very near to a new threshold of coming over the top, of being convinced of the reality of the things that we're doing on a level that you just don't, won't care anymore whether others understand the validity of this thing. That is the rest that God wants to bring you into. But still, the battle's there because this delivery system to bring uh, an innocuous, invisible commodity to the earth that can't be measured or, or valued by natural thinking, uh, this is what we're engaged with. And so there are levels that we have to penetrate and press through. But I was thinking this morning, I was hearing that mocking voice. And I heard it in the voice of somebody who used to attend this church. And, and they were saying, you know, you people think you're so significant there. 
But, you know, the city doesn't even know you exist. They don't even care about what you're doing. Well, my thought was, I didn't think they did. (laughs) I never needed them to feel that we were significant. Like, it's great that if we get to the place, and, you know, in the recent years, things have been happening... Which, which is tied to this whole imagery of the water flowing out to the city, but things have been happening that's causing the city to recognize that we're f- filling a service, but we're not doing it so that they think we're important. We're doing it because we're releasing the water of life, and that's giving us authority that's now starting to accumulate in the natural. But this person that was caught up with this thing, and I'm thinking, where must they be coming from like, what is it you thought about us? What did you think we thought about us when we were just worshiping and doing conferences and stuff? Because I never needed the affirmation of the outside world. But then I realized as I was praying about it and thinking about it this morning that this is a big part of our problem. That, that we're insecure about our significance. That we're insecure about the validity of what it is we're doing. And I suddenly began to see natural versions of, of things that aren't subject to this intimidation. For example, for example, have you noticed any light lamps on the streets? You know what it is, street lights? You know the street lights? Like, they just sit there and shine all night. That's all they do. It's like... Don't you grow tired of that? Like, don't you, don't you want to do something different? You just sit there shining, like, you know, emanating light down in one small direction. You think that's important? Like, that, whatever ridicule you might throw at that street light, it doesn't change. It doesn't feel the need to be bigger. Shine in a broader area, dance and move like the trees move. Like it, it's function... It's secure in its function, and it keeps doing that continuously. Part of our thing is, is like, if, it's, if there's any rote to it, if there's any repetition, it's not valid. I want to do something different, and yet, yet that, that thing has a role that's continuous but not really changing. What does it mean to be a pillar in the house of God? Oh, I want to be a pillar in the house of God. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to do this. <laughs> anyway, part of that is, is kind of a joke. But the, the point is this, is that, is that inanimate things like light, light fixtures don't need constant affirma- affirmation to keep doing the thing they're doing. Yet we... You know, it's like, ah, oh, I've been praying and, you know, for, like, we've been having the same kinds of meetings. We've been praying, going to a prayer meeting, we're praying. It's like, ah, oh, are we even doing anything? Just keep going. You're doing great. That's a really good prayer. So we have to, because we're people with insecurities, we always have to affirm, you're doing great. 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 Mommy, look at me. <laughs> Oh, that is so good. (laughs) So we are children, and we need affirmation. But there comes a time where we see the significance of what we're doing without the affirmation. 
And what happens then? Then we become the ones that affirm others. But even then, with complex delivery systems like the power grid, not every component in that delivery system is the same. You know, so I was just thinking, and I, I asked Mark Laforte a question about electricity, and you'll be surprised to know this, but he gave, began to give me much more detail than I needed. <laughs> much more detail than I could remember. <laughs> but I, you know, which, I mean, if I could absorb it, it might, might make this illustration even more colorful. But, but the point is, let me just make it simple for a non-electrician, non-power power establishment worker. You got the power plants that generate power, right? Ours are coal, or uh, they used to be coal. Now they're natural gas. You've got dams. You've got, you know, so there's all kinds of different generating stations. Those are the biggest expressions. This is where that the, the power begins. But when it goes from there, it goes down the lines. And if you drive around, you'll see these little power stations. They might be 30 feet by 30 feet. And, uh, and they, as I asked, they, what, what do they do? He said, well, they, they actually downgrade the power so that it can go you know, from there into neighborhoods, but it's too powerful, too many voltage, so I reduce it to 24,000 volts or something like that, I don't know. But, but they're a smaller thing, they're not, they're not the big thing, they're a smaller thing, and then if you go into neighborhoods, and if you've ever had a transformer blow, right, a transformer is another part of that delivery system, but it's sort of a central hub thing that when that blows, you'll lose power in your neighborhood. Not, not a massive area, not the whole of Edmonton or not the whole of Spruce Grove from a power station going down, but maybe a couple of blocks or something. But here's the thing. Whether it's the power station, the, the, uh, the plant, the power plant, or that little transformer, nothing is invalid. Nothing is invalid along there. And I... I, I want to pray right now. I break the power of intimidation off of us in Jesus' name, off of this church. That, that spirit that wants to say, there's no way you can be significant unless you have a church of at least 5,000. Well, Canada, no, let's downgrade it. At least 1,000 because you're in Canada. I want to tell you that the individual cells that produce power, that the, the Christian, the, the, the little Christian in your vehicle driving, when you are releasing the power of the kingdom of heaven, it is as valid as the power plant. Everything, every part of that electrical delivery system is valid and every part of the delivery of the presence of God to our community is critical. And I want to say to that spirit, sound ballad in Tobiah, you will not diminish our prayer. You will not diminish our worship. You will not diminish our sense of what we need to be doing, when we need to do it, and with whatever intensity we choose to do it with. Hallelujah. So, so we are a part of this delivery system, but the church is not a plug-in. It's not a transformer. I think the, the church is, is a power station. We're, we are a power station. 
for a region spiritually. And with that, we have a role. With that, we, need, we have a demand upon us that is beyond what you as a person can supply. And so what God does, he says, listen, a thousand, one shall put a thousand to flight, two put, will put 10,000. In other words, there's an accruing level of supply that's not commensurate you know, with, with the numbers of people. That it's, it's exponential in its power. And so what God is looking for is, man, can I get 150 people or 200 people or 250 people in this room to step into a realm of the, the Spirit and begin to release that water? What if revival hinged on our capacity to be in unity and do that? What if, what if part of what we do is actually sustaining other churches who don't have, the, the, they keep getting brownouts every second Sunday. They just can't actually get enough faith in the room to get a breakthrough. And so what God does is he supplements by taking power from another jurisdiction and say, hey, they, these guys will give you a boost in the spirit. But because we don't see it, and we, you know, well, let's just make enough for ourselves. Why are we going beyond our borders? Now, let's get down to the, uh, the specifics of this. What is the commodity? You know, I've illustrated it with electricity. I've illustrated it with water. But what is the commodity that we are, we are releasing? What's the commodity that God is measuring the whole kit and caboodle with? One day, the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's the commodity. Everything that flows from God is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. When the lightnings go out from his presence, it's the knowledge of the glory. And when the river of life flows out from him, it's the knowledge of the glory. And that river is what is coming into the earth, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So we have numbers of passages about these things. Let me read a couple. Because uh, we are conveyors, not of information, but of a substance that comes from God himself. And if, uh, yeah, no, I won't go there. Take too long to get back. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, and this is what it says. It says, now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. That's what you're doing. When you're preaching, you're doing it. When you're singing, you're doing it. When you're sharing your faith, you're doing it. When you're praying, you're doing it. When you're worshiping, you're doing it. What, what we are is part of God's delivery system for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that's released from heaven. It's coming, it's literally oozing out from his person and flowing through heaven, and it's the key to life. It's the key to everything. It's the key to restoration. It's the key to our wholeness. And, and so when we get saved, we literally are saved because we're touched by the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's how you get saved. That commodity in heaven that is designed by God to come into the realm of the earth and it will restore the nations, it will restore the cities, the oceans, the continents. It will fill the whole earth with righteousness, that's what caused you to get saved. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Listen to this. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts 
to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So in the one, see, he's just giving natural, natural expressions, dimensions to this glorious commodity. He says we're diffusing, right, the fragrance of his knowledge, and now he's calling it the light of his knowledge. Well, which is it? Is it the water of his knowledge, the light of his knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge? It's, it's one substance that has multiple dimensions, Food has taste and smell. <laughs> right? But this, this commodity that's coming through us uh, is, is what we're releasing to the earth. So the question is, well, is that what I'm re- interacting with? And do I know that's what I'm interacting with? When I'm being preached at, what am I receiving? For some of us, we're only receiving ideas. But the ideas... Right? The words and the phrases are just the delivery systems for the life. It's like when you take a pill, that plastic thing, that coating, that's not the pill. The pill is what's inside of it. That's just the container to allow it to get into you. So when we're here in this room and you're hearing spiritual words, there's, there's natural words expressing spiritual words. But what you're trying to get is not the natural words, but the spiritual words. This is what the Pharisees didn't understand, right? They didn't understand when Jesus was explaining these things. And, and uh, oh, not, I won't get into that teaching. It's so much wonderful things in the Word. But we're called as spiritual men and women to engage with an invisible dimension. And what happens, though, is when you first get saved, when you first get touched by the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, you are awakened to the reality of a realm, but it's, it's not as easily attainable as the realm that you see, feel, and touch. And so your dependency is more on the, the dynamics of the delivery system than the actual essence of the thing being delivered. So as a young Christian... You're more, you know, oh, that guy's a really good speaker. What do you mean? He's so passionate. Like passion, entertaining quality, this is what's most important. And after a while, you can sit and listen to Mark DuPont. (laughs) How many of you remember Mark DuPont? Powerful ministry, but very stoic, right? Not a lot of emotion. Kind of monotone. He's got a deep sort of bass voice and it doesn't move past you know hardly in intonation just a couple of notes but behind it was this tsunami of weighty water if you could just but some people are interacting with the delivery system others are interacting with the substance being delivered this is why Paul talked about, and he says, he says, we're communicating spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And then he rebuked them because they were unable to receive them. So in other words, we, we got to give you pablum. What, what is it? A downgraded version of this that's exciting and wonderful. Mm, here comes the train. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> and that's fine, right? You got to do what you got to do. For the audience that you have but regardless we are going somewhere 
where we don't need choo-choos and planes and a little honey to be added to every spoonful to make sure the medicine goes down. Ah. Now that first passage, he says, we're diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge in every place, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You were born again because this powerful, life-transforming essence of who he is, you were touched by it. Eternal life, you were touched by it. So, consequently, Paul prays for the believers in the same way all the time. You see it in Philippians, you see it in Colossians, but most dramatically, you see it in two parts of Ephesians. And I've shared this many, many times to you. How many of you remember this in Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 16, 17, and then if you go over to chapter 3, I can't remember the verse, but he picks up where he left off here. So he touches down on this, because this is the central thing that we're doing. Well, what are we, what are we doing? Well, we're discipling people. Well, what does that look like? Well, we're giving them the sustenance, the elixir of life, but we're packaging it in words, phrases, songs, fellowship times, scripture reading, all those other things. But what is it at its essence? It's the knowledge of the glory of God. And at some point, you start to be able to interact with its core structure. And that's all you need. So he's praying. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In John 17, 3, Jesus said this, this is eternal life that they may know you, that they may get some of the knowledge of you. The knowledge of God is the fuel of the kingdom of God. It is the fuel of our life. It is the fuel of everything that's in the world. When a church loses touch with the release of that commodity but does all the same stuff, they stop expanding. However, the nature of this power is that it always takes new ground. Always takes new ground. It's insatiable. It's unstoppable. There's nothing the enemy can do to stop it. So he's praying. Listen, I'm praying for you that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. He's saying, listen, if you only knew what was available to you, if you only knew the amount of power there was to change you, there would be no struggle with addiction. There would be no struggle with emotional bondage. There would be no struggle with sin. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is just that powerful. And so he prays, I want your eyes to be opened. I want the, I want the, the veil to be removed. So today I'm praying for a couple of things. And the first is this, that we individually 
that God would this in the next couple of months begin to give us kingdom moments where we start to discern the difference between the activity that we do in church and the life that is communicated through the activity. When, when you're dancing, when you're worshiping, if you're flagging, you know, I, I've, I've emphasized this so many times with some of the, the young flaggers, you know, how much movement is not as important as how much, how much life is in the movement. The beautiful thing is, is you can just have one movement with a flag, but if you're doing that from your spirit, oh, it's just, it's just beautiful. But, but oh, he's hardly even dancing. You even, can't even call that dancing. Doesn't matter. I remember when Ken was training the drummers and he used to point at the drummer and he'd go, <laughs> he'd say, like, you're drumming, but not from here. It's not the sound we want, it's the life we want. In sync with the sound, of course, because the natural is not unimportant. Just listen to somebody singing out of tune. But here's this other passage. Second Peter 1, 2, and 3, this is what it says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus and Jesus our Lord. In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think about that. All things that pertain to life and godliness are given, how? Through the knowledge of him who called you by glory and virtue. We want to break through the intimidation. We want to break through the mocking of people that are blind and the words, that spirit that bites at your mind when it says there's nothing to what you're doing. There's no validity in your dancing. There's no validity in your praying in tongues. There's no validity in your shout. There's no validity. You know, it's just emotional, cathartic expressions for people who need to feel important by making noise. Ooh, somebody thought that. No, no, no. There's a lot more. Is it sometimes that? Yeah, when immature people mimic mature people, it's, it's intensity without volume, spiritual volume. But when there's a roaring river passing through you, it's going to make a lot of noise. When I pray in tongues, I pray in tongues loud and hard because I, I control the faucet. But it's not just loud. There's a lot of substance flowing through. God needs this church. God needs you. God needs you to stand in your place. God needs you to be here regularly. Well, you know, I, I find like I'm good enough if I only come once a month. And what about the starving? What about the ones who don't have a drink of water? What, like, we are a functional part of a beautiful, majestic delivery system of life coming down to the earth. As we take responsibility for our place right now, God will expand our authority to do it beyond this dimension. A church cannot realize a destiny unless the people in that church stand in the place that God has called them to stand. 
And you may think, well, yeah, but I'm not on the board, and I'm not this leader of this or the leader of that. Listen, when Paul was talking to the Corinthian church, and he said, I've been enlarged in my sphere by the increase of your faith, he wasn't pointing to a handful of people. The whole body, the whole body. Yeah, it may be that somebody a few seats over has more faith and singularly releases more than you, but 10 of you release way more than him. Like this, is the, this is the problem. We were in Vancouver one time and, and we were gathered, there's about 25 churches gathered, each representing between 100 and 300. And one of the pastors reminded us because in those situations, often a handful of churches that have a thousand people, they don't come to these meetings. Because A, they're busy, but also they sometimes view it as unimportant. But this pastor said, you know what? This is the largest church in the city. That the cumulative representation that we have is more than any single entity in our city. The enemy tries to make us feel insignificant. Oh, you're a church of 150, 200. It's just you. One man, one woman, and God. It can be amazing. Together, unstoppable. So, Father, I pray. Ah, thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would experience new thresholds of flow. God, in Jesus' name, I pray this church would become uh, a power station, putting out spiritual megawatts of life. God, I pray in Jesus' name, I, I break the power of every intimidation, every shame, every bit of self-loathing, every little bit of belittling to say in Jesus' name, it doesn't matter how many people are following you. It doesn't matter how many people think you're important. You are connected to a divine source of life. And what matters is that that source is expanding, increasing, that the aperture of your spirit and your heart is widening and growing, and it's happening as you walk in tandem with a people who believe, a people that love you, a people that you love back and walk in peace with. Father, in Jesus' name, we say your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to close shortly here, but... You know, something that God's been really putting on my heart a lot lately is, I think, unintentionally, or maybe it is intentionally, we've decided which events we do in our life are spiritual and which ones are physical. And I think even when we come into a setting like this, we can watch Ben on the guitar and some of the other leaders up front, and we decide they are in that, that place where it's spiritual. And we're just sitting in the congregation. And God has really challenged me on this, right? Often when we leave church, we feel the realm we're walking into now is the secular realm, the physical realm. And we almost put down that spiritual component. 
One of the things he's talking about is this, is when we all learn to walk in the Spirit, the effectiveness completely shifts. Not only when we're in church, but when we walk in the Spirit in our cars, at Safeway, at work, everywhere we go. And this is the call to every believer, not to walk in the flesh, but to walk in the Spirit. This is the call for all of us, for mankind. And this is the constant battle, is it not? The tug of war, do you feel it even right now? So let's just take the next couple minutes. Let's stand to our feet. It's easy to say, God, I'm going to choose right now to walk in the Spirit for the rest of my life. But I'm going to say this, God, help me to walk in the Spirit for the rest of my life. In every environment that I walk into, that I would function in the Spirit and not in the physical. God, when I'm in church, help me to get out of my physical mind and tap into the Spirit of Christ. So, Father, I pray right now for each of us, Father, that you would teach us right now that your Holy Spirit would begin to minister to our hearts how we can walk out of the flesh and walk into the Spirit and that we can trust your Holy Spirit that you're going to guide us whether if it's in this church or tomorrow when you go to work that same Spirit is available to guide, to lead, to direct. So as we just go into this song I'm going to ask you to do this. Just ask Jesus. Just say, Jesus, I need more of your spirit. It really comes down to that. Let's ask him for more of his spirit. Can we do that? Right? So, Father, as we go into this song, our hearts say this. I want more of your spirit. I want to walk in your spirit. I want to walk with you every day, every moment, every second, God. Forgive me where I've chosen to walk in the flesh. Father, I choose to walk in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's worship him for a minute here. We're going to open up for prayer for two, well, for any who only wants prayer. But I want to isolate two needs. Some of you may not be baptized in the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues, and you'd like to do that. I want you to come, stand here, and we'll pray for you. But there's others of you. It's like you're in an important transition point, and, and you've, been, you've been doing the stuff, but all of a sudden, for the last season, you've felt weary about doing the stuff you're doing and it's one of those key moments where you can decide that it's because the stuff's not valid. But that would be a false conclusion. What God is trying to do is to shift your revelation so that you understand your role is less, but he wants to upgrade the power. He's actually calling you into a realm to make supply for what you have insufficient supply. And there's an internal shift. It's actually he wants to dial up a gear, not dial back a gear. He actually wants you to go from fourth gear to fifth gear, not quit pedaling. But when you move to another gear, you actually get more momentum with less strength. That's what entering his rest is really about. Not not doing anything, but finding another 
level of enabling in what you already knew to do. That shift, though, is sometimes uncomfortable. But some of you are right in the middle of that. We don't want you to miss kicking into that next gear. But the enemy's trying to steal your upgrade. And so we want to impart and pray for you and anybody else who wants to get a release. Maybe you're just thinking, I don't sense hardly anything of the Spirit of God. I'd like some of that. You can come forward also.